Afternoon, everyone. Are you, are you enjoying the new venue? Well, it's only this week, so don't enjoy it too much. Okay. Nice to see you. I'm Steph. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, it's going to be opening up the Bible for the next little while, part of our service. Um, we're going to looking at the book of Ephesians. I believe the youth are with us today. Is that right? Youth, great to have you with us. Give the youth a welcome. There's some over there, maybe. We're all pretty youthful, aren't we? Let's be honest. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be um, looking at today. We are, I know that some of you apparently I've heard have picked up on this little commentary on Ephesians called Sit, Walk and Stand. I've made reference to it a couple of times. I know that some of you in your running partners, in your twos and threes that you're praying with have been looking at that. Hopefully you're finding that helpful. Um, the whole idea with that is that the rhythm of the book of Ephesians is primarily that's how it's laid out in the sense that the first few chapters are Paul definitely just given a sense of what God has done for us in Jesus and really has nothing to do with anything that we do. It's just this glorious unpacking of the, the lengths that, that the Lord has gone to in reaching us and winning us. And, um, and so the, the idea being that, that if you're going to be a Christian, you don't start by walking or standing, but by sitting in that sense that it's just receiving all that God has done for us in Jesus. And then we're now into the middle chunk of the chapter, which is about the Christian walk. In light of all that God has done, done for us, in light of this forgiveness, in light of this adoption, in light of being chosen, in light of being brought together into a community of family of God, in light of being made God's household, in light of all of these things, how then should we live? Um, and so the beauty of this is that it takes, it takes Christianity from being something that could be seen as something isolated from everyday life, something that you do on a Sunday or something that you do uh, at occasional meetings and it, and it brings it right into our normal everyday lives, which is vital. Um, and it's important that we engage with it like that. The last thing, I think the last thing any of us want is a sort of scenario where you've got, you've got this Christianity thing and then you've got your life. It's just a horrible idea, isn't it? That sense of compartments where you're a certain person at a certain time and when you're somewhere else, you're somewhere, you're someone different. That, that's, that, that just does not sit well. Um, it makes, it makes, I would imagine it would make us uncomfortable. I would imagine it would make those around us uncomfortable. So we're really trying to grapple with who has God made us in Jesus full stop? And what does that have to say into every part, into every part of our life? So just to let, just to sort of clarify, 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 the walk is not a list of instructions in order to become justified. That is not what it is. The walk, if you like, is a list of instructions to the justified. It's those whom God has justified as a gift. Those whom God has removed the guilt from and made you right as a gift. This is how to live. This is what it looks like to live in response to the gospel. Um, so chapter 5 of Ephesians we're going to be looking at. I'm going to read the first 14 verses, even though we're only looking at two today. I want to read the first 14 so you get a feel for the way Paul is talking. says some strong things, um, very direct, very to the point. We'll be looking at those specifics in the next couple of weeks. But today we're just going to look at verse 1 and 2. So here we are. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, 
has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage and these words. Help us to uh, grapple with them over these next few weeks. Help us to find really your intention, your purpose, your wisdom, your heart in these words. Help us to really um, find you in it, we pray, right in the middle. For Jesus' glory and for the good of our souls, we pray. Amen. So today's two verses, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. During this sermon, I'm going to give you something to meditate on, something to ponder, something to reflect upon, something to rejoice in, and then something to work into our lives. Is that okay? One, two, three. Who's excited? Someone excited there. Great. Wow. Someone's, many of you were like, yes, yes, that will do. Yes. I was at Berenice was like, oh, Sally. I, well, explosive, the, the, the dynamic duo. Yes. I would like that. So let's meditate on this first of all. So you've got, you've got this, before this, we looked at last week and the first few, and, and the few weeks in front of that, we've got this whole idea of living, living and speaking truthfully, not stealing anymore, but getting a job. Why? So that you can share with those in need. Last week, we looked at the importance of, um, sorry, the week before last, building one another up with words. Last week, we looked at the importance of the fact that we have the Holy Spirit living in us and let's out of that power forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. And it's like wonder upon wonder upon wonder. And then he says, therefore, Four, be imitators of God, which tells us this, God is like that. That's what I want us to meditate on before we get anywhere about how we're going to live. This is what God is like. It's not, some people have this image of God as someone who is kind of telling people to do certain things with no reference to what he's like himself, but he really knows how he wants everyone else to live. And, and, and life is about really just trying to do these things, hoping that we don't get in trouble. That is not the truth. The truth is, is that God himself manifests these attributes in himself perfectly. So when God says things to us through his word, like speak the truth in love, that's because he speaks the truth in love to us. When God says forgive, it's explicitly because as God has forgiven you. When we hear about don't steal anymore, but but work so that you might have something to share in need. We see the gospel laid out for us where we are so needy and Jesus going to work for us at the cross, pouring his life out so that needy people can be made rich. And you realize this is what he is like. This is his character. It manifests out of him because this is what is in him. This is our God. This is who we worship. And this is why we worship him. He is worthy. When we say things like he is worthy, there is one element to which he's worthy because he's God and he created all things and by his will they exist and by his word they continue to exist. And that's enough to make us say you are incredible, you are beyond us. But when we start getting into his characteristics, we find out that he's beautiful. We find out that who he is makes our heart go, I want to follow you. 
It's not just that I know I ought to because you're God. I want to follow you. I don't want to be the head of my own life. I want you to be the head of my life because you are a worthy captain. You are a worthy king. You are a worthy leader. I want to be under your lordship. That's what begins to happen in our hearts. We start to say things like, I trust you. That's a powerful word. To be able to say, I trust you. You trust is a deep thing. Trust is it's where you open your heart fully to someone and put your heart in their hands. That's huge. That's huge. But we find ourselves increasingly being able to do that because we're realizing this is what you are like. And that the wonder of it is, is that he is under no obligation to be like that. He has no one to report to. He has no one to give account to. He has no one who's going to in any way even dare for a moment to effectively try and pull him in and give account for what he has done. He is beyond accountability. So when someone who is beyond accountability, someone who can do whatever they want, whenever they want, and then they act like this, you realize this person is extraordinary. And you want to worship him. And you want to entrust your life to him. And you're willing to bring your past to him with all the pain and all the other regret and whatever else is in there and all the good memories and say, I bring, I, I commit my past to you. Lord, any, anything that is, that is breaking in on my present because of my past, I bring it under your Lordship, Jesus, for your redeeming touch. You're able to bring your present with all the uncertainties and where will my life go and what will happen? You're able to bring it to him and entrust yourself to him fully because you know he is good and you know he has the power to do with your life whatever he wills. And you're able to bring your future to him. None of us know what a day will bring, even if you're a five-year plan type. I've got to break the news to you today. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible says we don't know what a day will bring. So we entrust our future to him. Say, Lord, I trust you. This is, this is the effect. This is who he is. So we meditate on that. And then we have to ponder that what we are made for is to imitate him. To imitate God is not some huge thing. You think, how am I ever going to do that? It is the most natural thing for a child to do with their parent. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Jaws, the first movie. There's this moment where the sheriff of the town, he's in a dilemma because the shark is attacking people. He wants to close the beach because he's, he cares about the people he's, he's looking after. But the mayor wants the money from the tourism and he's resisting him. And it's, it's going from bad to worse and more and more people are being attacked. And there's this one moment where he's sat inside his, his home in the evening. He's a world, in a world of his own, completely lost in his own personal dilemma of what he should do and how he can do the right thing. And he's sitting at the table and, um, and his son comes in and sits opposite him on the table. And you see the sheriff doing that with his hand on his on his chin, and then and then the camera shows you this sort of four or five year old boy sits at the table and goes like that, and he's in a world of his own. He hasn't noticed, and then the sheriff is like that, and then the four year old boy does that, and then he puts his head in his hands like that, and the four year old boy does that, and then the, it's something like the sheriff he sees. and he turns it into this game. But there's this beautiful moment where this son he. He, he finds, he finds his identity in his dad before him. He find, this, this is who he's looking to be. This is, this, this man embodies who he wants to be when he grows up. That's a beautiful thing. And uh, even in this moment, he just mimics his dad. It's the most natural thing in the world. No one said you must do this, but it's, it's almost the overflow of his heart. I want to be like you. So when we hear these words, be imitators of God, you know, the most natural thing in the world is to bask in the love and the care of your parents. And to find that out of that, you want to be like them. When, when we're restored to God through Jesus Christ, we become children of God. 
We're no longer orphans. We're no longer waifs and strays. We're no longer feral, running wild, doing our own thing. We are brought into the family of God. And he becomes our father and his spirit indwells us. And the most natural thing in the world now is to bask in his kindness, in his goodness, in his love. And, and, and to look to him and to imitate him. This is how transformation works. You can't, you can't separate transformation into Jesus' image from being in his presence. It's by being with him and gazing on him and learning from him and seeing him in action. And adopting those likenesses that you become more and more like him. So this is what we are made for. Don't see it as some chore, some task. This is what we are made for as the children of God. Presence, imitation, transformation. Now something to reflect upon, which is why, because you can think, it sounds so beautiful, then, you know, why is the world like it is? Something to reflect on. I want us to spend a little bit of time today just reflecting freshly on the fact that we have fallen and what that means. It's very important. That we do so because you think, well, this sounds amazing, but look at the world around us. Why is it? Why is it like this? The Bible teaches in the first few verses and when it comes to creation, it's a fascinating verse because it says this. It says we're all familiar with let there be light, a very famous phrase taken from Genesis one. But listen to this. It says God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, this is before the sun and the moon are made. They're made on day four. This is day one. So it's a different kind of light. Okay. Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. From the earliest pages of the Bible, light and darkness are separated. There's a separation, and God says the light is good. And what we realize is that this thing continues on through the Bible, and there's something much more. This is more than about physical light. This is about God who is light, God who dwells in unapproachable light, God who is who loves light, Jesus who is the light of the world. We see there's something coming through about the God and light, and something about darkness, hiddenness, secret, shame. And we realize this idea begins to come through very powerfully in the Bible that we live in a moral universe. We live in a moral universe that has been created by a moral God. We, 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 there, God cares about light and darkness. God cares about right and wrong. God cares about glory and shame. God cares about righteousness and unrighteousness. God cares about equality and oppression. God, these things matter to the heart of God. In some ways you might say more than anything else that they burn. On his very heart. And as, and we see through the Bible that in the, in the Gospel of John, there is this indictment on humanity. In John chapter 3, verse 19, it says this. It says that this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, Jesus. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. This is the judgment. This is the judgment. This is the decision that has been made. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. There's something happened to us. Made in God's image for his glory to bask in his love and we've chosen the darkness. That there's something that appeals to our fallen hearts about the darkness. About that which isn't allowed. You know what I'm talking about. Things that are forbidden have a strange attraction to us. There's something in us that wants to go after things that we know we shouldn't. Everything is innocent from the keep off the grass. Why? (laughs) That grass suddenly looks way more tantalizing than it ever did. I didn't want to go on the grass, but now I do want to just put one toe on it. Why? Because I'm not allowed to. Suddenly becomes tantalizing to things that are way, 
way more serious. People love the darkness because their deeds were evil, is what John says in his gospel. And the reality is about people that we've reached for the skies, but we've fallen from grace. We've reached for our own lordship, our own kingdom, our own way, our own wisdom, but we've fallen from grace and now we're moral freefall. Reach it out, longing for meaning, longing for fulfillment, longing for our souls to be satisfied, but in moral freefall, reaching after it, in this, reaching after it, in that, and finding that none of it is working. And the reason why is that the meaning of life is found in a who, and it's him. And as soon as we turn from him and reach from our own thing, we find ourselves confused, we find ourselves lost, we find ourselves looking this way and that. And then as soon as there's a call that comes back, your creator still loves you. There's a stiff-necked stubbornness, a willful pride. We don't want it. We don't want it. And we'll go to any lengths to escape him, whether it's religious lengths, worshipping some other kind of God, whatever name you might call him. Having some kind of religion in your life so you feel spiritual, you've got the transcendent, but it's not him. Or the newest one is atheist churches. Have you heard about the atheist churches? One of them, the most, the main, the main one meets in Islington. So people gather and, and they sing songs and they enjoy the wonderful art all around them in, in terms of the artistry of the building. They love the atmosphere. There's a sense of togetherness. There's only one thing missing. Him. They've specifically gathered to do church. Specifically, explicitly, without him. When you think, oh my goodness. And, 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 and it's, it was popular, it was packed with hundreds of people. And so then it went on the road and started traveling throughout America with it. You think, oh, what is this? Well, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but men love darkness. Something's happened in our, in our hearts. And God expresses it in, in pretty moving ways. You find quotes like this in the, in, in the book of Isaiah, it says this. It says, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people. Listen, this is God speaking. I spread out my hands all the day. Who walk in a way that's not good, following their own devices. The people who provoke me to my face continually. Sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks. Who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places. And he goes on and goes on and goes on. And he says, he says they are a smoke in my nostrils. It arouses such jealous Jealous, righteous anger from his heart of love for his people. And the whole of creation follows suit after us, becomes under a curse of futility because God made us to be responsible for creation. We have fallen. So we meditate on this amazing God. We, 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 we ponder on the fact that, that we were made to imitate and know and love him. And then we have to reflect upon the reality that we have fallen which leaves us in the ashes and leaves us hopeless. Well, there's nothing we can do about it. We're lost. And then there's something to rejoice in. Hallelujah. That in Christ, God is putting the whole thing back together. In Christ Jesus, God is putting the whole of creation back together. Not just your life, wonderful as that is, the whole of creation is being put back together in Christ. We are told that he loved us and gave himself up for us. Do you know that if you are sitting here today, you are someone who has had something done for them. I want you to just, for a moment, just reflect upon that. You might be here thinking, do you know what, I, no one ever does anything for me. <laughs> or I can't remember the last time someone did something just for me. Let me tell you this, the Bible says that he loved you and gave himself up for you. Something has been done for you. And when you, even if you're really familiar with it, please travel with me for a moment and, and, and give, give space in your mind and heart for the fact something has been done for you. 
In the midst of this rebellion and fallenness, God breaks in in the flesh. God comes in Jesus Christ and he does something for you. When this phrase is used, loved you and gave himself up for you in the New Testament, it's talking about the cross. Because you say, well, someone's loved me, it's past tense. What does that mean? Does it mean that they don't love me anymore? Imagine if I said, you know, I really loved you. <laughs> don't you love me anymore? It doesn't mean that. Why in the past tense? Because it's speaking about an event that happened. It's speaking about something concrete that happened where Jesus Christ loved you there. He loved you at the cross. Do you know that? He loved you at the cross. He gave himself up for you. Something was done for you there that will echo into eternity if you will allow it. A debt was paid. A debt was paid. It is a beautiful feeling when the debt is paid, is it not? Some of you have been students, probably still don't know it yet, but some of you may be getting through the debt. That moment when that debt is paid, a great moment. It's, a, it's that moment where it's done and the weight goes. Ah. The debt incurred by our choosing the darkness has been paid at the cross. The debt incurred by our willful rebellion and pride has been paid at the cross. He loved you and he gave himself up for you. We don't have the means to pay this debt. We normally don't have the inclination to pay this debt. We don't care. And what has he done? He loved you and gave himself up for you. This is how it works. In Romans 1 it says this. You might think, well, you know what, it's not so bad. Everyone everyone make, makes mistakes. Everyone does things wrong. Listen to this. It says about humanity, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Mate, just see if you see yourself in any of these. Evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, and though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, that's God's decree. If you practice such things, disobedience to parents, gossip, murder, if you practice those things, you deserve to die. That's God's decree. It's not my, I would, that's God's decree. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Which is why it says later in the same letter, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. There's a payment. In line with it, God's decree is sin, death. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That He loved you when you were in that. And gave himself up for you. You might be here today. You might say, well, I'm still in that. I'm still in that. What is God's, what is God's word to me? He loved you and gave himself up for you. That's God's word to you. You might say, well, what's the way out of this? He loved you and he gave himself up for you. What's going to break the power of this anger, lust, envy in my life? He loved you and he gave himself up for you. It's not just the power to break the, to break the sentence. It's the power to break the power of the sin. He loved you and gave himself up for you. A fragrant offering. A fragrant offering. What is this? This is the life of Jesus, so beautiful to the Father, that when he offered himself up, it was a fragrant offering. 
A life without sin, a life without any, any of those things on the list, offered up in humble obedience for the sins of the world. To the Father, it was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Jesus sacrificed himself to deliver us from the curse of sin. Hallelujah. That is why we sing. That is why if I were to go along to an atheist church, I would not know what to sing. We might be singing Jack and Jill, I don't know. But my heart would not be doing what it does when I sing How Great Thou Art. When I sing Here is Love, which we're going to sing at the end of this sermon. Here is Love, vast as the ocean. I say yes, because it reached me when I was, a, when I was disobedient to my parents. It reached me when I was insolent, boastful and a hater of God. It reached me when I had said no to becoming a Christian three years earlier. Knowing what the gospel was, I said no when given the choice. And I went my own way and he caught up with me and washed me in his blood. I say, yes, I will sing praises to my king. You are faithful. You are faithful. God took care of the problem. I love this. God the son offered himself up to God the father through the power of God the spirit. And together they solved the problem of humanity and made us right with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So finally, this, how do we work this into our lives? You know what? Paul just says this, walk in love. You might think, well, that's a bit vague. Well, I've just shown you what love looks like. It's not vague anymore. Walk like that. Let this gospel so get into you that it transforms you from the inside out. This is, this is, this is, this is a lifetime's work. <laughs> Cooperating with the Holy Spirit in in the church community, working with one another, needing the gospel into one another's lives, needing it into our own lives, letting the Holy Spirit use all manner of means to get it into us. So the yeast of the gospel transforms us into a gospel loaf. We look like Jesus more and more as time goes on. Walk in love. What does that mean? Well, well, we hear from the gospel, something was done for us. If I'm going to walk in love, that means I'm going to try and do things for people. Not to get God to love me. No, because I want to walk in love. So if you're here as a Christian, do stuff for people. Just do stuff for people. Put yourself out for people. Inconvenience yourself for people. Go the extra mile for people. Why? Why? Because it's a gospel life. It's a gospel life, isn't it? It's what we're looking to learn to do. I know we're under pressure. I know we're busy. You know, I'm not saying like, I don't know, you know, throw out all wisdom and discernment. I'm not saying that. But there must be something about our lives that you go... Oh, that was a bit extra. Yeah, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. I'm not doing the bare minimum. I want to do stuff for you. I want to encourage you. I want to bless you. I want to serve you where I can, even when it hurts. Which brings us on to the next thing, which is, through Christ, we ourselves can be a fragrant and sacrificial offering. It will never replace his. His his is the one and only. But actually, the Bible does say, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's your worship. Do you know that? It's really important we understand that. That's why we call that the time of singing. Have you ever noticed we call it praise and we call the, the, um, the leader a praise leader? We deliberately don't call it worship leading or a time of worship. We deliberately, explicitly don't do it. Why? Because it could mislead us to think that's worship and everything else is kind of something else. Whereas the Bible says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices 24-7. That is your act of worship. That's why we reserve that word to talk about our lifestyle, to talk about what we do 24-7. That's our worship. 
And it is totally appropriate once you've understood the gospel and you realize only Jesus can save you and you can put your hand on heart and say, I am saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus. That, and once you're clear on that, then you can go about looking to offer up your life as a sacrificial offering because you know you're not doing it to save yourself. Jesus has saved you. If you don't get that yet, don't worry about getting into living a sacrificial life yet. You need to get hold of Jesus first. You need to realize it's all about him and his offering. But once you've got that and those those of you here that have got it, let me just urge you, let us learn how to live sacrificially. It's so counterintuitive. We're sort of told, our common sense tells us, and I guess our society tells us, look after yourself. Preserve yourself. Sort yourself out. It's a kind of, and there's a logic to it. You know on the planes when they show you the thing with the oxygen mask, and you know the bit where you're supposed to, you're supposed to look at the person and read the instructions, and they say, make sure you put your mask on first. Then you can help other people. And there's a logic to that. It makes sense. And make sure you're getting time with Jesus. Yes, if you can help other people. But you can take it so far that actually what, what you do is you only help other people once your life is totally sorted out. You only, you only, you only actually start considering others once you've nailed down everything for yourself. But, but actually that's, that's, that's a deception. You know why? Your life will never be nailed down. There's always loose ends. There's always stuff just floating around. It's imperfect. So although it's wise to make sure your, your life is not chaotic, actually there's something about saying, I'm going to serve and love others for the glory of God, even though there's stuff in my own life that I wish that was a bit different. That is godly. That is admirable. That's gospel living. That is gospel living. So I'm going to read it again, just two verses, and then we're going to, we're going to, don't you want us, I want to sing here is love. I said to Alice in the band earlier, what we got lined up? What are we going to go for? He said, well, there's some options, and as soon as she said, here is love, I'm like, that's the one. That's the one. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Can we stand together? The band could come up. I just want to just lead us in a prayer of offering ourselves freshly to God and to one another. Take a moment to take a moment to meditate on this is what God is like. To ponder that you were made to imitate him as your heavenly father. To reflect upon the fact that we've all blown it. We've all fallen short. To rejoice in the fact that in Christ, God's putting it all back together. And then to take this moment to say, Lord, I want this gospel to be freshly worked into my life. I want to live a gospel life. Lord, forgive me for, maybe you've been just obsessed with your own, your own chunk, your own section, your own lot, pondering, pondering your own thing. And when that, when's that going to be sorted out? And as a result, it's just, you've just, you've not been serving or thinking of others really. You've just got trapped by that. I just want to say to the Lord, Lord, sorry for going down that road. Please forgive me. Please cleanse me from that. Help me to, help me to live that life of love. That fragrant offering, sacrificial life. It's just offer your, offer your heart freshly to Him. It's not about, it's not about sort of, um, how can I put it? It does involve effort, but it's not primarily about you saying to the Lord, you're going to do it now. It's about you saying, Lord, I give myself to you. I put myself in your hands freshly. Lead me and empower me. Lead me and empower me in this. 
Oh, Jesus. Just pray as we sing to you now, Lord, that you would be truly honoured. As we, the praise of our lips and the praise of our hearts would really honour you, that there, there would be a sense of um, genuine kind of gratitude and wonder at what you've done for us. We're all so needy, Lord. We're all so needy, so needy people. We just recognise it, Lord. We, we come before you in and of ourselves without anything. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to the cross we cling.